If you have your copy of God's Word, Mark chapter 4 is where we are this morning. If you want to turn there with me, Mark chapter 4, we're going to find ourselves in verses 21 through 25. And these verses are asking a question, how do you hear? How do you hear? I had no ears to hear your voice. We just sang. And so the question is, how do you hear? How do you listen? I don't know if you've ever had a hearing test. You've probably done at least one in your lifetime, whether you knew it or not. Maybe you're a little baby and that's it. If you've had a hearing test recently, I had one a long time ago that I remember where they gave me headphones and they say, when you hear the sound, press a button. And so I was, you know, have the headphones on, I hear the sounds, they start very low and loud and get progressively higher, and I keep pressing the button, and at one point, I kind of looked and went, I think we're done, and took the headphones off, and they're like, oh no, the test is still going, and I thought, that can't be a good thing, uh, I'm, I'm losing my hearing on the upper register, and they said, yeah, you are, so too many, too many rock shows, uh, going to too many rock shows, playing in too many rock shows with uh, monitors that are super loud, so... Um, they would tell me, uh, you need to be careful how you listen, what you listen to. You need to be careful the loudness of the volume of what you're listening to. Be careful also how long your exposure is to loud noises, to loud music, to loud movies. Now on my watch, it will literally say, hey, this is an exposure beyond 90 decibels and at 10 minutes you will experience hearing loss. This morning, what we're doing, what Jesus is going to do for us is he's going to give us a divinely inspired hearing test. That's what he's going to do. He's going to give us a hearing test and ask, how do you listen? How do you hear? Not, you know, anvil, hammer, stirrup, bones in your ear, the mechanics of physically how you listen to something. But how does your soul receive the word of God? And then when it does receive the word of God, what do you do with the word that you've received. And ultimately, as Jesus gives us this divinely inspired hearing test, we will see two specific realities that we need to understand if we are going to hear the word rightly and bear much fruit. So let's read these verses together and then ask God's blessing on our time as we dive in. Mark chapter four, verse 21, Jesus was saying to them, A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you and more will be given to you besides. For whoever has to him, more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. These are the words of our gracious, holy and awesome God. Let's ask his blessing on our time in his word, that he would write the eternal truth of his word on our hearts this morning. Father, we come before you as hungry and needy people. And as beggars, we know that there are several different options out there for where we could go for nourishment, satisfaction, for bread. But we know that every option fails us but you alone some trust in chariots some trust in horses but we trust in the name of the Lord our God you are our only help and so we want to hear you clearly because you alone have the words of life So Holy Spirit, as we pray every Lord's Day, open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things from your law. Give us that precious gift 
of illumination. That is a gift that is only by your grace. We have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. We plead with you to open our eyes. God, I pray that your word would do what it always does, that it would comfort, that it would convict, that it would challenge, that it would exhort, that it would rebuke, that it would counsel. That as the one message of this text goes forth, it would apply itself in a myriad of ways in this room and beyond as people would listen to this sermon down the road. God, we ask that you, by your grace, would do a work in us and that we would see so clearly in this text such a gracious promise and such a terrifying warning. So be near to us now, be with us now, help us as we renounce all self-reliance. We have no ability whatsoever to change ourselves, to comprehend what we need to from this text without you doing that gracious gift of illuminating our understanding. We press in deeply now and we ask that you by your grace would open our eyes. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen. In these verses, we find two different aspects, two different realities that we need to understand if we are going to hear the word rightly, hear it well, and then bear much fruit. And the first of these is just very simply, number one, we need to be careful how we listen to the word. We need to be careful how we listen to the word. This is verses 21 through 23. We need to be careful how we listen. You remember Jesus just spoke the parable of the sower and the soils. And then he just explained that parable privately to those who wanted to understand the parable, who wanted to understand the meaning of the story. And right off of the heels of his explanation to his disciples and others who wanted to understand, Mark includes this section. Now, we don't know explicitly if this was given to only those disciples and those who wanted to know, or if it was also given to the other crowds, the other members of the crowds that were there. We don't know, but it seems in the parallel passage in Luke chapter 8, which we're going to turn to in a few minutes, it seems like in Luke chapter 8 that he's speaking this, continually teaching just the disciples and the others that are there that are wanting to understand. Remember, parables were given to conceal the truth from those who don't want to hear and reveal the truth to those who do. And so those who are still wanting to press in, those who are still there, I think that this is spoken to them. But we don't know for certain. Either way, the point remains. The story is an illustration and it's an invitation. It's an illustration and an invitation. It's an invitation to press deeply into Jesus's parables and to seek truth from him and to live according to that truth. And it's an illustration of what that looks like and what happens if you do not live that out. The story is obvious enough. A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it, or under a bed? It's, not brought, it's brought to be put on the lampstand to show forth the light. This would be a little lamp, a a little clay saucer with oil in it and a little wick and it would be put on some pedestal in the middle of the room or put on a shelf on the side of the room and just illuminate the room to give light to the room. You don't put it under a basket. The word for basket here is a, a word for a, a peck measure, which is what would contain grain. And so what he's saying is you don't dump the grain out to put this basket on top of the lamp to conceal the lamp. You don't light a lamp for the purpose of hiding it. You light the lamp to give light to everything. But that begs the question in this story, what is the lamp? What is he referring to? What's the lamp and what's hidden as he goes on in verse 22? Nothing is hidden except to be revealed. Nothing has been secret except that it would come to light. So what is the lamp? What is hidden that would one day be revealed? What is hidden to be revealed and what is the lamp? that is supposed to shine forth. There's a few different views. One view is that the lamp is Jesus, that somehow he is hidden right now as the Son of God, as the Messiah, but will be revealed later, whether that's later in his second coming or whether that's later in his ministry, his earthly ministry. 
Some would say that it's Jesus. I don't think that it's Jesus because I think, number one, he's already revealed himself. He's already told people, I am the son of God. He's already said, no one can forgive sin but God alone, and I am the one who can forgive sin, and I'm going to prove that to you, so I am God. He's not concealing his identity to reveal it later on. Plus, it doesn't really fit in the context because he's saying, be careful how you hear be careful what kind of soil you are and how you listen, how you hear. By the way, I'm the lamp, and then he's going to go back to how you hear. That wouldn't make sense in context. A second option is that the lamp is the truth of the gospel that's now been given to the disciples. And so what Jesus is saying is, I've given you the gospel. Now don't hide it. Don't conceal it, but give it to other people. Now go out and spread the word. And while that's a true statement, well, that's what we should do. And I think it's actually an application of what Jesus is meaning. I don't think that's the point of what he's saying. Sorry to burst your bubble if you used to sing, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine, right? Like, I don't think that's exactly what he's saying. I don't think that's the point. I think that's an application. So we could still sing that song, but I don't think that's the point. Because again, if he were to say, don't hide it under a bushel. Don't hide the truth of the gospel, but make sure you're going out and you're sharing the gospel with other people. Then why is his emphasis over and over and over again on be careful how you hear, be careful how you listen, because how you listen determines something. It's not about doing first and foremost. It's about hearing and receiving. And so I would submit to you that the, the lamp is the truth that Jesus is communicating in the parables. What are parables? Parables are truth that's concealed from those who don't want to hear it and revealed to those who do. And that's literally what he's saying. Verse 22, nothing's hidden. I know I'm speaking in parables, hiding the truth, but nothing's hidden so that it just stays hidden. I'm hiding it, but then I'm going to reveal it to you as long as you would press in and receive the truth. I'm giving it to you. It's not been concealed or kept secret for no reason. There's a purpose to this, and I want to bring it to light to you. In essence, he's saying there's a basket on top of the light through this parable. But look through the basket. Pull the basket off. Make sure you see the truth. Don't just look at the basket and say, I'm done. There's no light. I'm out of here. There's truth in what Jesus is communicating in the parables. And he's telling his disciples and his followers, if you would press into the truth, you'll receive light. You'll see it for what it is. He's saying that there's something hidden, but it will be revealed. Something is secret, but it will come to light. What is that? That's the truth in the parables. The truth concealed in the parables will be revealed to those who want to know the truth. Verse 22, he says, nothing is hidden. That's the Greek word where we get our word cryptic. Nothing is cryptic, but that it would be understood. And then he says, nothing has been a secret. That's the, word, the Greek word apocryphon. Nothing is apocryphon. Nothing is concealed. The opposite of apocryphon in Greek is apocalypse, apocalypsis from revelation. That's the word revelation, to be revealed. So nothing is cryptic, and nothing is apocryphon, nothing's hidden, but so that it would ultimately be revealed. The truth that I'm saying in the parables will ultimately be revealed, but only to those who will press in, because verse 23 is the admonishment, it's the encouragement. If you have ears to hear the truth in the parables, you'll see the light and you'll get the revelation of the truth. There's a time and a place for things to be hidden. Christmas is coming up. Maybe you're shopping for Christmas already, and you hide the presents somewhere in your house so that your kids don't see them. Maybe you have seen a magic trick, and in the magic trick, the magician is waiting, building up suspense to perform something wondrous at the end. Or maybe there's favorite football team who pulls out that trick play at just the right time to fool the opposing team. You don't pull out the trick play at the very first play of the game. You wait. And so what Jesus is saying is, I'm giving a concealment to the truth in my parables, which we've already talked about the last couple of Lord's Days. But I want to let you know, if you have ears to hear, you'll hear truth in everything I'm saying. It's not for the purpose. I'm not concealing it for the purpose of hiding it. 
I want it to be revealed. Notice he says, verse 22, nothing is hidden except to be revealed. That's a passive verb, to be revealed. You and I don't do the revealing. God says, I will reveal it to you. This will happen to you and for you. This is a gracious promise that Jesus himself will do this for you. He will give you the gift of illumination. This is the process. Illumination is just the process by which God enables us to understand his word. This is a physical book. Yes, it has ink, it has pages, but it's a supernatural spiritual book. And if we read it with just physical eyes, we will not see what we're supposed to see. We need spiritual eyes and we need God to do that through the gift of illumination. Jim Boyce said it this way, the word, the Bible, without the gift of illumination remains a closed book. You won't understand it if God isn't opening your eyes to see it. But you can't then just say, okay, if he's going to reveal it to it, then I reveal the truth to me, then I can just wait until he does that work. No, verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. This is your active This is your This is your responsibility. We press in. I can be intentional in preparing our hearts to hear correctly, to press in to the word of God correctly. Remember, this is an illustration, but it's also an invitation. It's an invitation to press in. If there are things that are difficult to understand, Jesus says, don't go elsewhere. Press into this book. Press into his words. So how do we do that? Number one, submit your will to the Lord. Submit your will to the Lord. If you want to hear the word of God correctly, if you want to listen correctly, you need to submit your will to the Lord. Now I say this because it starts, hearing the word of God starts with an ownership that naturally our wills do not want to submit to him. We don't want to submit to him. We want our, our autonomy. Supernaturally, we would gladly bow the knee and submit our wills to him, but that's not a natural thing. Left to ourselves, we have hearts that would find satisfaction in anything but him. So if you want to hear the word rightly, you need to start by praying and asking God to help you. As we sang last Lord's Day, break the hard and stony ground, help my unbelief, soften my heart, break my will. I want to be crucified with Christ so it's no longer I who live, but Jesus who lives in me. I don't want to have a will. I want my will to die and Jesus' will to live in me. So before you hear the word of God, if you want to hear it with a prepared heart that will intentionally come to the word in such a way where you receive it and hear it rightly, number one, you need to submit your will to the Lord. Number two, intentionally cut out what dulls your senses. Intentionally cut out what dulls your senses, what dulls your hearing. Turn to James chapter one. James chapter one, beginning in verse 19 James writes, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, most people just take that verse and rip it out of context. Now, is it good to be slow to anger towards somebody 
in your family or towards somebody in your friend group? Absolutely. Is it good to be quick to hear? Absolutely. Is it good to be slow to speak just in relationships? Absolutely. This is a good principle that would help. I think the Proverbs would help give that specific application. But in context, James is talking about how we deal with the word. So he says, be be quick to hear the word, receive the word, be slow to speak against the word. When the word says something you don't like, be very slow to say, I don't like that, I disagree with it. No, 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 this is God speaking. And be very slow to be angry against it. Why? Because, verse 20, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, here's the connection. This is why the context is the word of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. There's even a sense where he's pulling on that sower and soils analogy. The word has been thrown. It's been implanted in your souls. And the word alone can save you. But it depends on how you hear it. So be slow to speak against it. Be slow to be angry against it. Be quick to receive it. And how do we do that? That's why I said, number two, intentionally cut out what dulls your senses. Verse 21, he says, put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. All that remains of wickedness means deal with sin in your heart because sin will stop you from hearing the word rightly. But then he also says all filthiness, which is very different than wickedness. It's a different word. Wickedness is clearly sin, but filthiness, similar to the way that the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 would say, um, lay aside every sin that so easily entangles us, but also every encumbrance. There's bad things that we need to get rid of. That's called repentance. There's good things that become bad things because they entangle us. That's this word filthiness. It's literally a Greek word that can be used to refer to earwax. So he says, before you hear the word, get a Q-tip and spiritually pull out that earwax so that you can hear it correctly. And so my question to you is, what is it in your life that makes the word unreceivable? What filthiness do you need to cut out of your life to hear the word? What intentionally... Have you given yourself to that without even knowing it, it has dulled your senses? Cut it out. If you want to hear correctly, cut out what dulls your senses. Number three, so we have submit your will to the Lord. Number two, intentionally cut out what dulls your senses. Number three, trust, if you're going to hear the word of God rightly, trust and cherish the truth you've already been given. Trust and cherish the truth you've already been given. Whatever seed has been sown, cling to it, glory in it, love it, meditate on it. Because here's the truth that God would communicate in his word. Hearing begets faith. Amen and amen. But faith in what you've heard begets better hearing. So trust and cherish the truth you already have been given. Before you ever try to hear more truth, just trust what you've been given. Love what you've been given. Meditate on what you've been given. The best, easiest way to do this is fellowship and evangelism. Live in community with other believers, talking about the word and sharing the glories of the seed that's been sown in your heart. And then go out and tell other people about it. And as they ask questions and objections against the truth, you're able to share with them the glory of the gospel. Trust and cherish the truth you've already been given. And number four, finally, read and meditate on the word. If you're going to listen to the word well, you need to submit your will to the Lord, intentionally cut out what dulls your senses, trust and cherish what you've already received, and then go to the word and read it and meditate on it. Do this every day. If you're only reading the Bible on Sundays, you're not going to develop an appetite for the word. Whatever consumes you the most is what your taste buds will get used to. So whatever you consume the most will change your taste buds, your spiritual sense of taste. If you have worldly taste buds, you're going to have no spiritual appetite. Can I just encourage you? Can I challenge you? I think some of you probably 
it would be good for you to fast, maybe this week, maybe for a couple weeks, from whatever intentionally, whatever dulls your senses to the word of God, to intentionally cut it out. We often think of fasting with regard to only food. You can fast from any good thing to get it out and put on something better in its place. So maybe it's TV, maybe it's your phone, maybe it's movies, maybe it's books, maybe it's video games, maybe it's sleep. Just cut it out and read the Bible in its place and glory in the word. Read through the Gospel of Mark, 16 chapters, incredible action. Read through and see Christ on display. Read ahead, see the end of the story. Uh, write questions down so that as we get to the passage that has your question, you're engaged with it. Read through the Gospel of John. Read through some of the epistles. See the glory of God on display. If we're going to hear the word of God rightly, we need to submit our will to the Lord, intentionally cut out what dulls our senses, trust and cherish the truth we've already been given, and read and meditate on the word. Jesus begins in verses 21 through 23 by saying, we need to be careful how we listen to the word. We need to be careful. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then number two, in verses 24 through 25, the second aspect, the second reality of how we are to live out, hearing the word rightly and bearing fruit. Number two, number one, we have be careful how you listen to the word. Number two, recognize that hearing the word puts you under great obligation. Recognize, if we're going to hear the word of God correctly, we need to recognize that when we hear the word of God, we have now been put under great obligation. Recognize hearing the word puts you under great obligation. This is verses 24 through 25. He was saying to them, take care what you listen to. Literally in Greek, the word take care is the word for seeing. So literally he's saying, be seen what you are hearing. Look intently at what you're listening to. Strain your heart to see and perceive. Work hard to understand the truth that you're listening to. And then he says, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. That's a proverbial statement. That's a proverb. It's an illustration and it's a proverb. If you were selling grain, you would measure it and then sell it. And you can have false measurements and swindle people. And so the the saying here, the proverb here is, if you swindle people, you will ultimately be swindled. So what he's saying with regard to how we listen is if you come to the Bible with weak measurements you're not giving it much thought, you're not giving it much attention, then you're going to see weak effects in your life. The measure you use when you come to the scriptures will be measured to you. The measure that you give to the scriptures will be, measure, will be the measurement that you get from the scriptures. And there's actually a little play on words because back in verse 21, he talked about a basket, which was a peck measure. It was a basket that was used to measure grain And so here he goes to that measurement analogy. He says this is a a bushel, a measurement that's a basket. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, if you're going to put these two analogies together, the same basket that you leave on the lamp will be left over you. If you leave the lamp in darkness, then you will be left in darkness. But if you scratch and claw and fight to see that light, you are careful to perceive and you give yourself wholeheartedly to the word of God, then he will allow that light to come flooding into your heart. If I could say it this way, very simply, Jesus is saying, you get out of it what you put into it. That's what he's saying. That's the summary of verse 24. You get out of it what you put into it. This is true in any relationship, right? If you are dating somebody, you're hanging out with them all the time, You're getting to know them. You're spending time and energy and effort and money, resources. And then you get engaged and then you get married. And if once you get married, if you stop dating your spouse, if you stop pouring that same amount of energy into 
understanding who they are, asking questions, diving into their heart, figuring out what makes them tick. If you stop just because you got married, what's going to happen to that relationship? It's going to be really bad. Maybe you'll even lose your spouse. It's true for a spiritual relationship as well. If you come to the Lord and you say, I need you, I'm desperate, I love you, and you receive the word, and then you say, okay, now I'm good, and you move, you move away from him, then you're going to lose him. But if you press in and you keep giving yourself to his word and you're attentive and you meditate, then you're going to get more and more and more. You're going to get greater understanding, greater wisdom. This is Proverbs chapter 9, verse 9. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. You'll keep growing. And then he gives us, in verse 25, a comfort and a warning. There's a gracious promise in verse 25. And there's a warning, a challenging, terrifying warning. So verse 24, you get out of it what you put into it. Verse 25, a comfort and a warning. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. This is a gracious promise. God desires to pour this out in your heart. More will be added to you. God is such a kind and generous God that you can count on a disproportionate measure of grace being given to you. It's not like if I give 10% of energy to the Lord, he's just going to give me 10%. No, he says, give me 10%. I'll give you hundred grace. He wants to lavish this Upon you. And you know what this feels like. You know if you've read the word of God, you read it for 10 minutes and it feels like you've spent an hour with the Lord. You can't get enough. You just want to keep on diving in. I love doing this with my brother Caleb. We meet in our discipleship group right before our small group on Wednesday. And we're just reading through 1 Timothy. And we read like three verses in 1 Timothy. And we can't move on. We're just diving deep. We're seeing things. We're just making observations. We're trying to figure out what does the text mean? What does it say? What does it mean by what it says? And then what does that mean for us? And we literally could spend hours on three verses. And I always look at my watch because I can hear people coming into our living room and I go, oh, we got to go to Bible study. We, we spend 30 minutes, 45 minutes on three verses and it feels like it goes by like that. But it also feels like the depth that we've gotten out of these three verses, just it's glorious. There's a gracious promise here. If you press into the word of God and you keep giving yourself to the word, he wants to give you so much more grace. But there's a warning. Verse 25, but whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. To the one who has the truth, but does nothing with it, you don't press into it. You don't bear fruit from it. You just leave it there. Even what you have will be taken away. It's like when my kids use something in our house contrary to the purpose for which that thing was intended. I always tell them, that's, what not, that's not what that was made for. Right? They pick up some object in the house, and for the boys, it instantly becomes a lightsaber, and I tell them, cute, but that's not what that was made for. You only use something for what it was made for. And if you don't, you're going to break it or you're going to break something else around it. And sure enough, they use something for what it was not intended for. And either that thing breaks or something in the house breaks. What happens? I say, you've lost the privilege. I take that thing from them and I take something else. You've lost the privilege. Why? Because what you had, you didn't use correctly. You didn't use it properly. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you have the truth of God's word, but you don't use it properly, you haven't heard it properly, you haven't invested in it properly, he's going to take it away from you, which is exactly what happened in the parable of the sower and the soils. If you don't receive the word and start bearing fruit, it's going to be taken away. There's a challenging warning here. If the word softens some and hardens others. The warning here is, how do you listen? Be careful how you hear the word of God. There's an echo here from the parable of the talents. Remember the parable of the talents? There's that reality of if you have been given something by God and you just bury it and do nothing with it, then when he comes, 
He will not be pleased by that and he'll take away what you buried and give it to somebody who actually does something with it. So if I can say it this way, verse 24 is, you get out of the Bible what you put into the Bible. You get out of God's word what you put into it. If you don't put an effort into God's word, you won't get anything out of it. Just like the disciples, if you don't press in to the parables, you're not going to see the truth. You're not going to hear the truth. You're not going to see the light. God's word will not yield its gold and precious jewels to lazy people, to undisciplined people, and to prideful people. It won't. You get out of it what you put into it. Verse 25, if I can say it in a a common phrase, use it or you lose it. So verse 24, you get out of it what you put into it. Verse 25, use it or you lose it. If you receive the word of God and do nothing with it, then you're going to have your ears slowly dulled. You're going to have your actions and your heart slowly dulled, your senses dulled. The way that you are listening to the word right now will impact how you hear it next week. The way that you're hearing and reading the word of God right now will impact how you hear next week. I think preaching the word of God is an incredibly high calling. I think it's one of the highest callings that you can possibly have the privilege of enjoying. And I consider it in my life probably the third highest calling in my life. Number one, being a son of the king is the greatest privilege I could possibly ask for. That is grace upon grace upon grace that I do not deserve. Number two, being able to be the husband of Hannah and the father to my three kids is the second greatest privilege of my life. Undeserved mercy, undeserved kindness, undeserved grace. Number three, greatest privilege of my life is being able to be the pastor at CBC, one of the pastors, one of the elders that gets to shepherd and the lead teaching pastor that gets to preach mainly in this pulpit. That's one of the highest callings of my life. But I want to submit to you that I think that there are more, not I think, I know there are more verses in the Bible about the hearer's responsibility than the preacher's responsibility. There are verses in the Bible about the preacher's responsibility, who I'm called to be, what I'm called to say. But there are more verses in the Bible about the hearer's responsibility. So if the preacher is a high calling, which it is, I want to submit to you that maybe being a hearer of the word is an even higher calling. I love the way John Piper says it. It's no small thing to hear the word. The stakes are very high. There is a hearing that barely gets started and the word is gone before you get out the door. There is a hearing that lasts until there is a hard time in life and then one turns from God to other messages. There is a hearing that flourishes until the riches and pleasures of this life choke it out. And there is a hearing that defeats the devil, endures trials, scorns riches, and bears fruit unto eternal life. The stakes are very high. By the way, is it any wonder then If the stakes are so high about what's happening in this moment, about how we hear, how we listen, is it any wonder that all of the messes in life seem to wait until Saturday afternoon, right? Like you could have the best week that you've ever had. Your kids are just sinless, right? They don't do anything wrong the entire week. That's not possible. You have the best relationship with your spouse. It's like you're on your honeymoon again. And then Saturday night rolls around and it's like the devil moved into your house. It's like, what is going on? The car ride on Sunday morning, the tire breaks, the engine blows up. You're like, what is happening? Sometimes, even in the service, people walk in through different doors. People say things. People, cell phones go off. People are in the bathrooms over there making noise. Is it any wonder why there are so many distractions that happen when you're sitting here listening to the word? The enemy would hate for you to hear it correctly. So how do we hear it correctly then? How do we hear the word of God correctly? I gave you four ways that you are to come to the word of God with a humble heart. Now let's talk about how we're to gather together and think through being a part of CBC and sitting under the word of God. Number one, let me give you four more aspects, okay? Four more ways to intentionally prepare your heart. Number one, come joyfully with humility to the word. 
Come to the word with joyful humility. Let's say it that way. Come to the word with a joyful humility. Don't come on Sunday morning begrudgingly. Don't come with a sense of, ah, what now? But come with an excitement. God's going to speak to you. Come with joyful humility. Come with a heart that says, I am dirty, filthy, messed up. Jesus, I've got logs in my eyes that I don't see. And I want you to show them to me. And I want you to use others to show them to me. Don't come with a chip on your shoulder. Don't come with superiority. Come meekly to receive the word. Come to the word with joyful humility. Number two, before you leave, before you leave the church service, before you leave being under the word of God, share with someone what God has shown you. I think the most important time of the week is the 30 minutes right after the the sermon's done. I think that's the most important time of your week because the word has just been scattered. And what does the devil want to do? He wants to jump right in and take that seed. He wants you to say, I've received the word and then just walk out and live no different. He wants you to turn to your neighbor right when the church service is done and say, hey, how are the Rams doing today? That's what the devil wants. He wants you to take the word and go, I've heard it. I'm good to go. Just because I'm here, just because I listen, just because I'm hearing. I heard the word, I'm good to go. So how do we fight against that? We know that hearing alone isn't enough. So we need to do something. We need to till the soil. We need to receive and grow. So we turn to somebody next to you and we say, you know what? This is what God showed me today. You know, that also helps you. If if you were to do that every single Sunday and you knew that you had to do that every single Sunday, that would help you in listening to the word because you know you're looking for something to share with somebody next to you. This is the rest of James chapter one when he says, receive the word with meekness, which is able to save your soul. And then he says, but prove to be doers of the word and not merely hearers. That's what this point is saying. Prove to do something with it. Don't let that seed get snatched away. Don't just move straight to the football game or the lunch with the friends or whatever you've got going next week. Small talk is great. Soul talk is imperative. Turn to somebody next to you right after the church service and say, what did God show you? Here's what he showed me. Remember that word here in Greek, akuo, where we get acoustic? The word obey in Greek is akuo with hyper in front of it. To hyper listen is to do something about it, to live differently. So are you akuoing? Are you listening? Are you hypo? Are you hyper-accuing? Are you living with such a way, listening with such a way that you're going to live differently? You receive the word in such a way where you're looking to live differently. Take seriously what Jesus is saying. If you do, more will be given to you. And if you don't, even what you have will be taken away. Number three, if we're going to come to the word of God in such a way that we receive it, we understand the Obligation that it places on us. Number three, don't make gathering together optional. Don't make gathering together optional. If hearing is so imperative and important, then we want to hear as much as we can. Too too many people who claim the name of Jesus attend church when they, quote, feel like it. Or when they, quote, when it's convenient for them. But it's not their regular practice. Make it your regular practice that when the doors are open, I'm there. And not in some legalistic sense, but because this is your very lifeblood. You need to sit under the word. You want more of the word. You want more of Christ. And the only way to get more of Christ is to meditate on what you've been given and to get more of it and to press into it as deeply as you can. Remember, what measure are you giving to the word of God? Whatever measure you're giving to the word of God, you will get in return. So if you come to church two times a month, and that's all you do, that's 24 times out of the year that you will hear the word of God preached. You will be a malnourished Christian if you are a Christian at all. I have people who tell me, I don't really feel connected. I don't feel like God's working in my life. I don't feel like I'm growing. 
And I say, that's what we're here for. That's what we love. Let's work together. Can I just ask you, what discipleship group are you in? I'm not in one. What small group do you go to? I don't go to one. What men's ministry or women's ministry do you attend? I don't go. How often do you go to Sunday service? Two times a month. How often do you read your Bible? Twice a week. Well, I know why you don't feel like you're growing. Because you're not. You're not growing. You can't grow like that. That's like eating one fruity pebble flake a week and hoping to be healthy. Can't do it. Don't make it optional. If I promised every single person who came to CBC next Sunday, if I promised you that I will personally give you a million dollars if you attend next Sunday, would it be optional? Would it be like, well, let's see how I sleep on Saturday night? right? No, no, you'd set 75 alarms, right? You would probably camp out here to make sure you don't miss it. You'd call your family up and say, you know what? Whatever we have planned for next weekend, it's got to get moved because I'm getting a million dollars when I show up on Sunday. Friends, you get way more than a million dollars when you open the word of God. What does the psalmist say? Psalm 19. It's better than riches, than much fine gold. This book is better than anything in this world because this book points us to the one who is better than anything in this world, Jesus Christ. So come to him. Give your all to him. Clear your schedule for him. We say it all the time. Sunday morning starts on Saturday night. This is the most important moment. Don't make it optional. Number four, share the truth with those around you. Share the truth with those around you. If you are going to hear the word rightly, then you need to share the word with those around you. Inherent in receiving divine truth is to share divine truth. This is where the application of don't hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine comes in. If you've been given truth and God tells you what to do with it, go do it. And if you don't go do it, then you will prove that you are not a doer of the word and he will take away what you have even been given. So can I ask you, how are you using what you have been given to the glory of God? To say it another way, you have an obligation to let the light of the gospel that God has given to you shine brightly to others around you. It's the joy of every believer to take up the lamp, to throw the basket aside, to place the lamp in the most prominent place in the world and to let people know the truth of Jesus. And that starts with you and me living in the light ourselves. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they wanted to hide in the darkness, but we say, no, we live in the light because Jesus has garments of righteousness to give to us naked, shameful people in all of our sin. He says, here's my righteousness. I will clothe you, just come to the light. So we're pleading with others, come to the light. We live in a world that prefers darkness. So let's just shine as brightly as we can. In another passage, it's not the parallel passage to this one, but in Matthew chapter five with the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. So be careful how you listen to the word and recognize that hearing the word puts you under great obligation. I believe that that's what these verses are saying. That's what Jesus is giving to his disciples. But it would be so easy to walk away and to say, so I just need to be better. And if you think that, then you're missing the motivator that gives you the energy to live out these things. It's not, I just want to be better. It's not, I should just try harder. It's, I want Jesus. He's giving us an invitation. If you want grace, I will give you grace upon grace upon grace. But the question is, do you want grace? Do you want him? If you say, I'm not that needy. I'm okay. I'm just fine. Then he's telling you this morning, you're not going to get more grace. Remember, in context, the Pharisees had just committed the unpardonable sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Remember, we talked about unforgivable sin doesn't mean that Jesus is unable to forgive them. 
It means they weren't asking for forgiveness. If they had asked for forgiveness, they would have been given forgiveness, but they weren't asking for it. So if you and I say, I am so broken, I am so needy, here's all my sin, here's all my shame, here's all my struggle, it is not transparent confession that will repel Jesus and keep you from receiving grace. No, it's religious pretense that keeps you from receiving grace. Jesus would gladly have been friends with the religious elite. He desired them, he wanted them, but they didn't want it because they were too busy playing pretend. So these verses are asking us the question, will you just stop playing pretend? Will you let your guard down? Will you throw off all pretense? And will you run to Jesus and say, I want you and I want more of you and I want to keep getting more of you and I want grace upon grace upon grace. And that's why for believers, one day heaven is our greatest joy because we get more of him. We get all of him. We get all we've ever wanted. That's why we love heaven. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter one, verse 21, to live is Christ and then death is gain because you take everything I'm going to lose when I die and you give me the thing I'm going to get when I die. I'm going to get Jesus. I'm going to lose everything in this life, but I'm going to get Jesus. He's all I've ever wanted. And that starts now. What does Jesus say that eternal life is in John 17? Eternal life is knowing him. It's knowing him now. It's not just living forever then. It's knowing him now. So do you want to know him? Because two things. He wants to know you. And he made a way for you to be fully known and fully loved through his work on the cross. Would you come needy to him? Would you come broken to him? Would you come willingly admitting I'm a sinner in need of a savior and everything that we've sung today, nothing but the blood of Jesus, not of good that I have done. I can't do something to fix myself. I can't do a good work to make him love me. I was running my hell-bound race And he, by his love and kindness, stepped in and said, you're mine, and brought us to himself. So with that as the motivation, who wouldn't want to press in and hear him speak? God, thank you so much for your son. Thank you so much for the reality that we have been given a great high priest who is tempted in every way that we are yet without fault so that we can run to him and say, I have sinned, I have fallen short, I have failed time and time again. But we can run saying, I want grace upon grace upon grace. And he says, I'm here to lavish it on you. God, make us a people who loves Jesus more than anything in this world. And because of that love, It would drastically change the way we live our lives. We live it centered around the word. The word of God pointing us to Jesus Christ is our everything. It's our soul satisfaction because it shows us Jesus who is our soul satisfaction. So help us to press deeply into your word, even now as we sing your word. And help us to love you more. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.